So decided though that I wanted to kind of hone my my overall business skills, and so I decided to go back to grad school. Went to the University of Texas to get my MBA. The football experience does not even come close to that in Athens. I was there during the Vince Young National Championship, which was a ton of fun. But Texas football doesn't hold a candle to to UGA football for anybody that's wondering. What's up, Georgia Bulldogs fans, and welcome back to the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. This is episode 232. My name is Scott Duvall, and I am pleased to bring you a new Spotlight Series episode today. Today's Spotlight Series features Ryan Oliver. He and I were fraternity brothers at the University of Georgia, and Ryan works for Twitter. He is the Senior Director for Twitter Next, which is a new strategic arm of Twitter marketing and provides a range of insights and advice to selected business partners. Ryan received his undergrad degree from Georgia and an MBA from the University of Texas. So it's also cool throughout this episode to hear his perspective on how the SEC compares to the Big 12 in terms of on-the-field product and overall tailgating vibe. He also shares some actionable Twitter power user tips so you and I can get more out of the whole Twitter experience. And we, of course, discuss the popularity of all fans in live-tweeting sports moments where every team, every play, and every coach's decision is up for debate hot takes, and conversation on the platform. It's a fascinating look into one of the most popular social media platforms that many of us use on a daily basis. I hope you enjoy this episode, and a big thanks to Ryan for taking time to chat with me. So, let's just jump on into it. Here's episode 232. I wanted to welcome my friend, my fraternity brother, whom I haven't seen in a while, but I'm Getting reconnected to right now, Mr. Ryan Oliver. Um, he's a Georgia grad, and he is a senior director at Twitter Next right now. And uh, I'll let him kind of go through his bio, but it's pretty interesting. We met at the University of Georgia. We were both Sigma Chi's. We were in the same fraternity. And uh, it, it's really interesting reading his LinkedIn bio to see all of the things he's done. And he's kind of what I would describe as pretty much on the cusp of technology and uh, if I speak to our podcast crowd, we're very uh, heavily followed on Twitter, and that's one of our primary means of communication. And so I figured that having Ryan, uh, a senior director at Twitter, would be really appropriate uh, for a lot of our podcast listeners because I'm sure that y'all have a lot of questions about Twitter. Y'all use Twitter. And so, Ryan, thanks for joining me today and uh, kind of, I guess, share with the audience about who you are, where you came from, for, from your collegiate experience to your uh, postgraduate education, and kind of how you got involved in Twitter and how cool that is. Well, Scott, thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to, to actually just go right into a bunch of college stories for your audience and, and, and talk about some of your, uh, your funnier moments in college, but um, maybe we'll save that for another show. Sure. Uh, um, yeah, so obviously uh, we met in college and had, you know, not, not to anybody's surprise, but the best four years of my life at, at, in Athens at, at UGA. And uh, my plan during college was I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and go in. So I was planning on go to law school. And then I graduated in 99, which was the, the height of the dot-com boom. And so I sort of thought that why go to law school when, uh, you know, maybe I could join a a startup and retire early. That didn't exactly work out uh, as planned, but I had a a really fabulous experience joining a startup um, in Indianapolis, Indiana, of all places. Um, Kind of a friend of the family had some, some buddies from business school that had started this company. And so moved up there um, and it was just, Fantastic. I mean, the we raised ninety three million dollars for that idea, which I know it was easy to raise money back then. But the the idea was um, in the beverage industry and creating a, a online portal for B two B ordering, and um, it was a little bit ahead of its time. So um, so after that, like actually while I was still at that company, I moved back to Atlanta. Um, we were expanding our operations in Atlanta and. And then, you know, the dot-com bubble burst, and then I decided to go work um, at a place that I'd interned in college in Atlanta. Uh, at the time, it was called uh, Career Sports and Entertainment, and now they're uh, an agency based in Atlanta called CSE. And so um, joined there and, and worked with a lot of really creative and fun people, got a taste for a lot of sports marketing and, and just a lot of different types of marketing and that I really love doing. And 
So decided though that I wanted to kind of hone my my overall business skills. And so I decided to go back to grad school, went to the University of Texas to get my MBA. And then coming out of uh, my time at UT, which again was a fabulous experience, the football experience does not even come close to that in Athens. That's um, good to know. That's for, good to for, know. For anybody who is wondering, I was there during the Vince Young National Championship, which was a ton of fun, but we can talk about that later. But and anyway, Texas football doesn't doesn't hold a candle to, to UGA football for anybody that's wondering. So... And then after my time at UT, went to um, GE and worked in uh, for seven years there. Started in a leadership program and kind of bounced around doing all sorts of different jobs. And then my my final stint there was being the C, uh, chief of staff for the CMO um, and doing all sorts of things around um, promoting the GE brand and understanding you know how how we can leverage one of the most valuable brands in the world. Um, which was a, a fun experience. And then the Twitter opportunity came along and was actually an opportunity for me to get back to Atlanta. And so I came down here and was back home and it was great to be back home. And then the ride with Twitter has been, been awesome. And we can probably talk about that in more detail, but, um, but it's, it's been a, I've been, I've now been at Twitter for over seven years, which is, is hard to believe. Well, and as I think back to Twitter, I couldn't even tell you when I joined. I guess I could have done some research and figured it out, but it's been a while. So I think my fascination with Twitter started probably back in 2015. Uh, I, it was one of those platforms that I didn't really jump into with both feed. I, I just kind of felt obligated to join Twitter because that's what people were doing. And if you had a brand or a cause or a podcast that you wanted to promote, it was just one of those things you did. Um, but I've found throughout the years that my love for Twitter has grown to where I pretty much champion it to when I'm talking to clients that it's my favorite social media platform. And I think it has something to do with just the ride or die reaction that you might get. Sometimes you might send out a tweet or something you think is funny or even informative that gets mild reviews, but then other times it can start a whole new conversation. Uh, you can meet new people, gain new followers, find people to follow. Um, so that's what that's where my love affair with Twitter comes from. And I'm I'm wondering, have you heard similar uh, descriptions about uh, your platform uh, from other people? Yeah. So, I mean, I hear, I hear it all the time when, you know, I, I meet new people and it's like, what do you do? And I tell them like, well, I don't get Twitter or I love Twitter. I couldn't live without Twitter. And I completely understand all those reactions, you know? Um, I, I certainly, for anybody who is interested, I, I will gladly talk about, uh, what I love about it. And, and granted, I'm a little biased. Um, but I, I also, you know, I've been in the shoes of those other folks. So, I mean, my own experience with it was um, I was resistant to it when it first came out uh, or I first learned about it. You know, I'm a little more of a private person and I didn't I didn't really feel the need to talk about things that were happening in my life. Like, did people really care? And then when I went to go work for the CMO of GE, she was a, a really big Twitter user and, and proponent. And so I kind of in anticipation of that, I joined and sort of started messing around with it and, and following people and and really enjoying the conversations and the things that I was learning on Twitter, um, in addition to a lot of really good entertainment um, that you can find there. So, so yeah, it was a it was a process for me too, and you know I think that as a company we haven't done the best job in terms of making the experience easy for people that are coming for the first time. So for for the for the people who who know it and love it, you know, they've invested a little bit of time in order to understand some of the features and build up the people that they follow or accounts that they follow. And we're doing some things to work on that, which I think will be great um, for, for people that might have tried it and didn't feel like they wanted to invest that time. But I get it. Uh, but I, one thing I've, I've also said a lot since I joined is that while we don't have the reach of, of Facebook, for instance, and, you know, Instagram has certainly grown a lot in popularity and I, I really like Instagram's product a lot. But one thing that I've always said is that if we all woke up tomorrow and all of social media was gone, I think that the loudest group 
would be Twitter users in terms of who was disappointed and who would wonder what they're supposed to do in terms of getting their news and following the stuff that interests them and some of the, 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 the power of Twitter in terms of the, the conversations that, that happen on the platform. So um, let's hope that doesn't happen, but, um, but I, I firmly believe that that would be the case. I completely agree with that because I find that if something is happening and there's, especially with this coronavirus stuff back in March, like remember March 11th, the Rudy Gobert day, basically when the NBA shut down. I mean, the place I was getting my news, I wasn't watching the networks. Um, I wasn't even watching ESPN. I was just refreshing Twitter from, you know, the guys like SVP, Scott Van Pelt and, and other people that were reporting on it real time, uh, mainly because it kind of started with sports. Yeah. And I follow a lot of sports uh, writers and, and prognosticators and, and actual, uh, and I guess, basically people that are famous for being on Twitter uh, that report news. So, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to Instagram to find news. Nobody's going to Facebook uh, really to find news anymore. That's almost a place for our parents to hang out is on is on. Facebook, but uh, but yeah, you're right. I, so that kind of brings me um, to my next question for for you about about Twitter. It seems, and this is the world that I live in, pretty much. But a lot of the people listening to this show uh, are also in this world. It seems like sports is such a big, uh, almost like a hangout, a party place on Twitter, where even if you're not at the game. You're still following, say, the Georgia game on Twitter and, you know, Georgia Twitter, hashtag Georgia Twitter, uh, it really gets into it. Uh, almost play by play with certain people that you follow, you can get their opinions, you can say something snarky, it'll immediately get like eight to ten retweets and comments on it. Um, it help, dis- help me understand or describe from your perspective the phenomenon of sports Twitter and more specifically Georgia Twitter during a Georgia football game. Yeah. So I share your feelings on that, that um, one thing that, that uh, a colleague of mine has said is that Twitter is the biggest sports bar in the world. And no matter what sport you follow or what athlete you love or what game is happening, you can go on Twitter and find conversations around that. And it's really interesting. I mean, it adds a level of commentary to the game that um, I think provides just a lot of entertainment, a lot of insight and and just a more enjoyable experience. So um, and I've been saying this for a long time, too. I mean, the Super Bowl is not just the biggest football game every year, but it's the best day on Twitter because everybody is watching that, you know? And so basically almost every comment you see in your, in your feed is about the Super Bowl. Now to your point about Georgia Twitter, you know, you can use different features within the app to, um, to customize the feed to just be about those games or about the people that, that follow Georgia football. So we have a, we have a, a feature called lists that um, that I use a lot. It's kind of a a way for you to curate different people around a certain interest, um, and you can actually create a um, a timeline that just is of that list. And so that's one way to that I will use during Georgia games so if I just want to see content around the game. Um, and I, I learn a lot of stuff and I laugh a lot of like what people are saying. And, and there's certainly no shortage of opinions about from Georgia fans about, right. you know, plays right. that we run or players that are playing or coaches decisions. And so um, so it, it really is an awesome way to, to enjoy Georgia football. Yeah, I think one of the biggest uh, explosions of tweets came last year when Georgia played Notre Dame and Kirby decided to kick the field goal yes. instead of going for the first oh. down. <laughs> and I think he even relived that because remember a couple weeks ago we did virtual G-Day and yeah. he was live tweeting the Notre Dame game and people were kind of predicting that he would have to answer for his, for his sins live on Twitter <laughs> about why he kicked the field goal. There, there you have it. I mean, you know, it, it, they don't go away either. So, um, but I, that's a really good point because I do think that, and you've said this about other platforms that, that don't possess this is the conversational nature that Twitter provides. And I think that like, even if you're not interested in having a conversation with somebody, 
you can still either throw a question out there to Kirby and ask him about that and maybe he responds to it or you could see him talk about that and, and you can observe that. And I, I just think that that's one a superpower of Twitter is that, um, that is really hard for any other platform to, to duplicate um, and, it, and it just adds so much to the experience. Yeah, that's a good point because it's almost like, think about back when we were in college. If you wanted to contact a celebrity or a sports figure or something, it would have been nearly impossible. You might would have had to look up an address or tried to call somebody, but nobody would have picked up the phone for that or, yep. it, or maybe contact a sports agent. That wouldn't have happened. And I've got the perfect example of that. Less than 10 days ago, I, I found a treasure trove of old 1990s Sports Illustrated yeah, that, that. that I had found. And I, t- I found the uh, one of Desmond Howard. It was really, it was awesome. It was in great condition of him uh, against, uh, uh, yeah, well, it wasn't the pose, but it was right before his pose. Anyway, I took a picture of it and I tweeted at him. I was like, hey, Desmond Howard, I'm not a Michigan fan, but I found this awesome cover. Would you like that? And within about five hours, he was like, hey, that's cool. Sure, I'd love to have it. So I got his address at ESPN and I mailed it to him. <laughs> That's cool. um, and that was just really cool. The fact that, you know, it just brings people like that together. Now, I have, I'm not much of an autograph person or I don't really like, I'm, I'm not going to go get a photo with a famous person. But to me, just having that little power to do something nice for someone. Um, you know, I always kind of champion the way I use Twitter is Twitter for good. Yeah. Um, and just to do like fun things like that. And it's just, it's kind of a neat experience. I showed my kids, my wife was kind of like, Hey, that's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, things like that happen all the time. Um, and it's not just interacting with famous people. It's just normal people. I feel like I've got friends on the West coast up in the Northeast that I've never met in my life, but we share a common bond of Georgia football. And I ho- I always say to him, I hope to meet you one day. Yeah, um, I completely subscribe to what you're talking about. I've had countless um, experiences like that. One recently over the past month where my fiance and I, I got engaged, by the way. I, I, oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, she, so we were big tennis fans. That's how we met. And so we were watching a documentary on uh, Martina Navratilova, which talked about her her story and some of the things that she's overcome. And I just tweeted out to her. I was like, hey, we saw this. Thank you for you know all the, all that you've done for people and and she responded to me and it was just really cool that you know she took the time to do that and, and it it was just a, a really cool thing and then Andy Roddick had, has responded to me on something and and so it's um it's just you're right like complete strangers can meet and there's so many friendships there are marriages that have formed because people started talking on Twitter um, there's there are a lot of examples of that actually and and so I think it's uh, it's pretty cool that it can bring people together and and create those connections no matter um, you know how much how far apart you might be and so I you mentioned a minute ago about uh, the lists that you can make what what I want to do and before we get off this call I want you to remind me if I forget I want you to give some some tips like I've seen the list. I've never used it. So I I wrote that down. I want you to, uh, we'll actually tease this where later you're going to give however many actionable, uh, Twitter hacks or tips that you can give, uh, for people listening to this. But what I wanted to ask you next was, uh, your position that you took September of last year as senior director of Twitter next. I had to kind of look that up to see what that is, but from what I gathered, it's, it's like a, a marketing arm of Twitter, uh, kind of leveraging the, the API that Twitter, uh, has and being able to help other brands or bigger brands or even smaller brands be able to retarget uh, consumers and maybe talk a little bit about on what Twitter Next is, uh, what you're pretty much heading up. Yeah. Um, so we, Twitter Next is the brand strategy arm where we are working with our biggest advertisers to help them really take advantage of the power of Twitter. And so we have in the in my team in the U.S. Uh, in Canada, we have sixty people that are in seven different offices who work with those advertisers who are are primarily looking to launch something new or connect with what's happening, whether that's you know an event or or something that's happening across the world, a trend or whatever, or if they're launching a new product, a new slogan, a new ad campaign, whatever. Um, and so we have. 
we have groups of, of strategists and technologists and designers and data scientists who all mobilize around those opportunities. So Coke, for instance, here in Atlanta, you know, when, when they're getting ready for the Super Bowl, you know, they, they always do such great television spots, but they often want to complement that with something on Twitter. And so our team goes in and understands what their objectives are and proposes ideas and then works on the execution of those ideas. Um, so we're a little bit, we have a lot of people with ad agency backgrounds um, who, so it's sort of a, a, of a similar process and mentality. Um, but we also we work a lot with the ad agencies at our brand, so we're not a we're not a competing force, but um, but we actually complement them and work with them to make sure that we're helping the brand achieve their marketing objectives. And I think I've seen that in action. I didn't understand why it was happening, but after reading a couple of the press releases on Twitter Next, it kind of made sense. You know, I. I will tweet a photo of some of the camera gear I have or talk about cameras a lot. And I've noticed that I've been getting a lot of, of promotional ads in my feed for Canon, which is the brand I use and, and actually helpful things that come across my timeline that I'll actually click on or interact with. And then I was reading that Twitter Next can retarget ads to people based on even the photos and their tweets. Now, some people might would think like, oh, big brother or whatever, or, you know, uh, artificial intelligence. But, you know, I think what you, the way I look at it, it's 2020. If you're going to put yourself out there and put things on there, you got to embrace the technology that comes with it. And I've actually found it helpful for some of those uh, targeted ads, because for a while uh, I was getting ads just for random, like, you know, food delivery services. And yeah. I'd rather, if I'm going to see an ad, I'd rather see one, see one that's retargeted towards my interests. Yeah. So um, I think that I, by the way, just as a consumer, I agree with you that right now, you know, targeting technology has gotten so good. And in my opinion, a lot of times I would much rather have relevant ads than something that doesn't pertain to me. Um, That being said, I think there are continue to be more ways that people can protect themselves and opt out of things. And, and, and so for anybody who feels like they don't want that, then, you know, it takes a little work and a little bit of time. Um, but there are things you can do to sort of turn that access off. Um, and so what, what we did pertaining to image targeting, um, and so my, my, part of my team, we have a, a group that we call the lab and they're really trying to push the envelope in terms of things that have never been done before and understanding like what could we potentially do that advertisers might want on the platform that we've never had the functionality or we've never piloted before. So the that image target you're talking about is a good example where if, a, if Purina wanted to advertise something around a new dog food, like is there a way – to not just tweet people who have indicated or advertised to people who have identified as a, as a dog lover, but could we have a group that is just people who have tweeted pictures of their dogs? You know I mean? So there's like, there are different ways of trying to, to look at that. And yeah, we just, we love trying to figure out stuff like that about like, what are the questions that nobody's answered or what are the different tools and technologies that maybe we can incorporate into Twitter? Yeah, I wonder if uh, University of Georgia might could uh, jump on that for the football season. I mean, if we're going to have uh, less fans in the building, as it kind of seems, uh, perhaps they could uh, le- leverage Twitter next with uh, the, the the thousands of people that are going to be watching the games uh, on TV and on, on Twitter at the same time. Well, uh, interesting that you bring that up. So, um, you know, we talked earlier about how Twitter is the, the biggest sports bar. We... We're actually having some conversations right now, like maybe Twitter is going to be the stadium, you know, like for the next year that that's where, you know, with no fans in the stands, if that's what happens, then not only will people be talking about the game on Twitter like usual, but we're talking right now about some ideas that we're going to bring to some of the leagues around how that might work and how we can use Twitter to either simulate fan noise like live fan noise that's happening on on twitter that could then be translated into the stadiums um or some other creative ways to do it so so that's something that um that yesterday and today we've actually been spending a lot of time on yeah that's one of those things that um sure we want sports but i guarantee you 
after we get sports for a couple weeks, people will start complaining that the vibe is just not there because half of the part of the hair standing up on your arms, you know, and goosebumps is when you get involved with that crowd noise. Uh, if Georgia makes a big play at the end, I mean, if it's just crickets, even though they win the game or score the touchdown, the yeah. reaction is going to be a little bit void. So, I mean, I guess trying any kind of technology to help fill that that space because that's something that people are going to be craving even though they don't, they don't realize that right now. I totally agree. And, I mean, I think, like, you know, you can do canned laughter on television shows. I don't think canned crowd noise is going to really fly for sports fans because people watch sports because it's, you know, not scripted. And um, and so I, I my personal belief, and I've been talking a lot about this with, with our folks on our team is, you know, I feel like people want an authentic reaction. And even if it's not happening inside that stadium, how can we get sports fans to actually participate in a way that it is authentic? So, um, so I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I, I think we're going to, we're going to have some, some pretty good ideas and maybe we need to, uh, if, if we can't get the NFL and NBA and major league baseball to, to buy in and maybe we'll, um, you know, we can go to go up to Sanford and, and try it out there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, uh, so speaking of University of Georgia, you were there in the late '90s when I was. Uh, didn't see the best brand of football. We had one year where Don and had a good team, uh, and this was prior to Mark Rick getting uh, getting at Georgia and kind of getting it right on the or back on the right tracks for yep. for a time. But what are what are your favorite football tailgating uh, game road trip memories that you have when you're at Georgia? Um, yeah, we did see. Um I don't know. I guess it was sort of a transition year maybe for a, a, a positive progression that we saw in terms of <laughs> Georgia football. You know, my, my freshman year was Ray Goss last year. Um, yeah. And, I mean, seeing Heinz Ward during that during that time was, was certainly awesome. And I, I love – I remember love watching him play um, no matter where he was on the field. I, I think it was my sophomore year was the Auburn – Robert Baker, you know, Ugga jumping at Robert Baker in the four overtime yes. game. Um, yes. So that was certainly memorable. And I, I decided not to go to that game, which is maybe one of a, a huge regret. But I remember uh, we were watching it and um, with some of our, our mutual friends and fraternity brothers. And some people after the game decided to go to Auburn. <laughs> they like, they were That checks it. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was certainly memorable, even though that season wasn't, wasn't that great. Um, and then 97, I think. The, so the next year is when I think we started – I think we started 4-0. And was that the LSU – no, the, sorry. So the next year was LSU. 1998 was the LSU game. Yes. When we were 4-0 at LSU, I think we were ranked like 10th maybe. They were ranked top five or six. Was that and, Quincy Carter? And it was Quincy Carter, and we won 28-27. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I remember it so vividly for a few different reasons. One, um, I have the distinction of being kicked out of uh, LSU Stadium because uh, I threw a piece of ice at uh, our friend Andrew Bullock, who was sitting like three rows down, and I was trying to get his attention. And I threw the ice down, and they, because probably because I had a red shirt on, they were like they kicked me out of the stadium. Um, the good that news seems is pretty uh, mild. That seems pretty mild I know, behavior for especially uh, like wait till you hear the rest of the story. So I snuck back in, got to watch the game, which you know we won by one point, and and so that was just awesome. Um, and then after the game, you know LSU fans um, they get pretty rowdy. And that was a night game, and um, what the my girlfriend at the time got punched by a female LSU fan. So that was. That was fairly wow. dramatic, um, but memorable game nonetheless. Um, and then we followed it up with a total clunker the following week. I think that's. I think game day was there, Tennessee maybe, um, and and we lost. But that was still that was still a memorable time. But and then I think that was the year we went on and, and pounded Florida though. So typical sort of up and down Georgia season. Um, but but those are some some definite memories. Well, I know Andrew Bullock's going to be happy to hear his name shouted out. He's a listener of the podcast. So, uh, oh, good. What's up, well, Andrew? <laughs> tell, tell, the, the Bull's a great guy. Um, good memory. Yeah. 
So how often do you get back to Athens? I, I know you're not far, but you, you probably travel a lot and you had been far away for a while, but you know, living in Atlanta, uh, do you, do you get back to many games during the season? Um, yeah, so I do travel a, a lot. Um, and don't get to Athens as much as I would like. I usually go to try to go up for uh, at least one or two games and then try to come up in the spring. So, um, uh, like this past season, I went to the Notre Dame game, which is fun. And um, I, I I would like to make a, a, a better effort to, to do that. So, um, so maybe in the near future, you know, whenever games start again with fans, um, I, need to, I need to do a better job because I, I certainly appreciate it more now. Well, you kind of wonder. Um, I don't know if they can, uh, you know, govern this in, in the city of Athens. Well, I'm sure they can, but uh, you know, say there's there's games and only ten thousand people are allowed because of social distancing rules or whatever. Uh, could you imagine if allowed the tailgating that would happen somewhere within the city of Athens or the city limits <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and parking lots or something? I, I don't envy the whoever the enforcement agency that there would be to uh, make sure that people are, are, are tailgating responsibly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it is going to be interesting to see, but, um, but yeah, I mean, really it's just a, it's a guess for any of us right now, what's going to happen in the fall. I'm just hoping for the best right yeah, now. I know. Um, it will be interesting. I don't know. I don't know where they'll fit everybody, but Georgia fans are resourceful, um, especially when it comes to tailgating. So I'm sure, sure everybody will find a way. Well, and before I get into kind of a, a different bit on this, at the beginning, it, it kind of uh, piqued my interest, and I'm sure it piqued uh, some of our listeners' interest. You, you have, uh, you're, you're probably one of the few people uh, that have experienced big time college football at an SEC school, and then also for two years as you got your as you received your MBA at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, what are some of the differences that's palpable to you because you came out and defended? The SEC crowd in Georgia is like, hey, there's no comparison. Even though you were there when Texas was winning a national championship, what are some of the the striking differences in, in the two schools? The biggest difference, in my opinion, is just that buzz and vibe that you feel on game day in Athens, or, or frankly, you know, most of the of the big schools in the SEC. Um, you know, you feel it like you walk it, you walk into town and or walk into the game or tailgating around town. And, and there's just that energy that was pretty absent, in my opinion, for all the big 12 places I visited. Um, granted, I didn't go to a lot of them, but certainly, you know, UT fans are passionate and they love the team. Like, don't get me wrong. That's certainly they 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 really sort of bleed the burn orange. But the experience is just sort of lacks that energy. Um, and I don't think the stadiums are as great and, you know, they're, they're more concerned with having the biggest scoreboard than they are on, <laughs> you know, in terms of like, um, the competition on the field. So, um, and plus like, I don't know, the big 12 brand of football for so long has also been, right. you know, no defense. And, you know, I think SEC fans really appreciate good defense. And so, um, that's, that's a major difference in my mind too. I, I, personally like don't love watching you know week after week of of games that are in the 50s and 60s like that's just not as fun to me no i agree i agree because it's like down here in the sec you might get one or two shootouts a year and those are awesome but it just it, you don't get spoiled for that outbreak of, of offense and, and and half the time you know making a cool defensive play or or, uh, you know, how Georgia beat Auburn last year even, just holding on for, I think it was like 21 to 14 or 28, 21, I can't remember. But, yeah, yeah they rush out to an early lead and then defense takes over. And so, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think most people, especially listening to this podcast, would. So a couple of things I'd like to just ask you real quick, uh, you know, quick answers and everything uh, that I wrote down right before we started because I wanted to know, um, who was your favorite Georgia player while you were in school? Probably Robert Edwards, actually. I loved, yeah. I loved watching him, and he was just—he just had that, that aura of, of a guy that was a, a true star. Um, so I, I loved watching him play, and I loved watching Champ play too. I mean, Champ was both sides and so exciting, and you know, he—I think maybe Champ more than anybody while I was there looked like he was on a different level than everybody else. 
No, I agree with that. He still looks that way. I mean, yeah. he looks like Hollywood right now. I saw him at one of the games last year. I mean, he looks like he could still suit up and play. I know. I saw like all his Hall of Fame stuff, and you're like, dude, you know, he's uh, he's staying in good shape, and um, and he's a good dude. You know, good guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I know this from from knowing you for a while. I know that you're a Chicago fan. You're a Chicago Cubs fan. Yeah. Um, so this might play into, and I, I say that just to give context to for perhaps his answer to this next question. Who is your most hated sports team? Hmm. Yeah, I would probably have to say the Cardinals. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean... I know everybody hates tech, but I, I have a lot of friends that are tech fans. And so, like, I mean, I, I it really sucks when if we happen to trip up and lose to them. But I just – I've hated the Cardinals for a really long time. Um, so that's that's definitely my answer. Well, it's, it's, it's too bad that I don't have my co-host, Will Leach, on the show because he is a dyed-in-the-wool – Cardinals fan. Oh no! Uh, you Cardinals. Need new, you need a new co-host. <laughs> he, uh, we even made a bet. My other co-host Tony, uh, Tony Waller, and and myself last year for the playoffs that uh, we would switch jerseys, or Will would have to wear a Braves jersey, or, or vice versa for us if the Cardinals beat uh, the Braves in the the, the NLDS. <laughs> oh, and then obviously that that's painful. game five. And you know what? Will's a great guy because he felt so bad for us after that, I think, 12 nothing first inning that he didn't even make us follow through on our That's a good friend. That, I mean, you'll be happy to know, though, actually, since I've been back in Atlanta, I've actually um, – I mean, I'll always be a Cubs fan just because that's how I grew up. But, um, but I actually follow the Braves much closer than I do the Cubs and uh, become a big, big Braves fan. So, um, so, so that one really stung. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think there's as much animosity between the Braves and the Cubs as there as there is between the Braves and the Cardinals because of last year. And then you remember the infield fly game. Oh yeah, was Braves Cardinals playoffs. Yep. So, even though they're in different divisions, there's still a lot more hatred towards the Cardinals. And even with the Braves, we still hate the Dodgers, guys yeah. my age, because we yeah, were in yeah, the yeah. NL West. So, yeah, that that geographical juggernaut of uh, the NL West back when we were growing up. Um, it's, it's like, like Missouri being in the SEC East. It yeah, doesn't make right. any sense. Didn't they have the umpire from the infield fly rule? Wasn't he umpiring during that game? Uh, yeah. Behind the plate? Uh, Hol- Holbrook. Sam Holbrook. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same guy. Funny. There's a Twitter conspiracy theory for you. Yeah. This should yeah, be floating right. around. Totally. <laughs> right? I think it actually did kind of come up, if I recall, and I, and I, and I can say that with a, with a lot of confidence, that before – uh, the series started. People were tweeting about WTF is Sam Holbrook uh, part of the umpire. I remember group. that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Twitter, Twitter seems to always be the the sports fact checker um, out there. I mean, really, it, it's true. And um, I remember vividly the infield fly rule on Twitter. Like people went ballistic about that. Um, so yeah, it's so interesting. It, it, Twitter's the place to to get your hot takes, and uh, and you know I le- that's why I look forward to logging in during uh, sporting events. I think we beat that horse to death, but it's true. I mean, it's just the it's the greatest place to be uh, when when watching sports from home. Yep. Um, another question: Your favorite Athens spot, whether it's a place on campus or a, a, a restaurant, just any when you think of Athens, what where do you where does your mind go to that you want to be at? Uh, I mean, when I was there, I used to love walking through North Campus, um, and I think that still, whenever I'm back, just that brings back memories, and um, I just think it's such a beautiful part of the campus, so I love that. And then, you know, we spent a lot of time downtown Athens, um, Some a lot of the spots that are no longer there, um, mm-hmm. but... I loved uh, I loved our our time running around there and uh, not being very good to our our bodies or our health, but but it was a lot, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, North Campus and downtown. I mean, the fact that it it, it borders each other is pretty much uh, you know the the greatest place on earth, uh, arguably. A couple more questions here. Uh, since you have done a lot of traveling for for Twitter uh, and and really even before you got to Twitter, what's your What's the best city you've traveled to? Hmm. Um, I love going to London. Um, 
I went to Singapore last year for, um, you know, we have a pretty big Twitter operation there. And um, that was a fascinating experience. I loved, I love seeing the culture and like just how they, how they operate in, in Singapore. You know, there's a lot of pride and it's, it's evident like the minute you get there about how they, they value and take pride in their surroundings and, and how they take care of things. Um, the food was fantastic. So that was, that was pretty cool. And then, um, I've been lucky enough. I get to, you know, I go to the French Riviera every year with Twitter. So the, the, the can lions, um, advertising festival that's there every June. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a, a pretty big presence and we meet with a lot of our top clients there. So, um, so that's special. I mean, that's that's a, a, a beautiful setting and, and just a, a cool place to be. So uh, unfortunately, it's not happening this year for obvious reasons. But um, but that's something that, that I look forward to every year and, and getting to, to meet with and see the most creative people in the world and some of the, the most creative and best advertising that's happened over the past 12 months is, is always um, a ton of fun. Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, tech bloggers and, and everybody. And actually, it's almost like uh, the CES of Europe, it seems like. That's right. Uh, when, yeah. when people go over to Cannes. So I guess that leads to my next one. Who's your favorite tech blogger or tech Twitter follow to get you know good information from? Maybe 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 what I'll do is I'll, I'll make this a two-part. Your favorite tech uh, Twitter follow and then your favorite sports Twitter follow. Well, I think that you know Kara Swisher has become somebody that, you know, you got to follow and, and have to, um, you know, she's just really good at, she knows our industry as well as anybody. And, um, and she uncovers a lot of stuff. And so, um, she's somebody that, that I definitely follow sports side. Um, I love following Rex Chapman. So, uh, <laughs> I he, think everybody does. <laughs> he, he just has such great content. Um, and, and, and I love his story too. And like, he just, he just loves sharing like cool stuff. And you know, it, it all, it all started with his blocker charge, which was brilliant, but it's, it's sort of emerged. And certainly during this crisis, we've seen him tweeting a lot of feel good stuff and like illuminating some, some good that's happening in the world, which I think we all need right now. So, um, so I've really, I've, I really enjoy following him. Um, to speak on Rex Chapman a, a bit, I started following him, and I, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast follow him. Um, I started following him maybe six months ago. He actually follows me, Whoa, which is crazy. Nice. Uh, he, uh, I retweeted something that was very punny, uh, and he retweeted my retweet and then followed me. And I checked a couple of days ago, and he's still following me, which That's is pretty cool. It's kind of cool. Uh, how does someone, like, say someone. It's not like he's he was trying to. It just kind of was almost serendipitous a little bit about his growth. But in a nutshell, what's the science behind his kind of exponential growth being able to um, just blossom on that platform? Well, I think that what he's done is he just finds things that are very conversation worthy. You know, like whether that's something that's funny or, you know, he's tweeted out some things recently about – a family that was a, a grandmother who had Alzheimer's who loved going to the grocery store and they created a grocery store in her house. Um, and so, you know, he, he just finds things that I think touch of people's emotions and gets them talking about it or, or whatever, you know, retweeting it. That, that certainly I think contributes to his rise is the fact that a lot of his stuff will get a lot of earned media. So, um, so I think that's what it is. And, and, you know, I think he also, I don't know. Like, if you asked him, he probably never set out to be like some Twitter star. Sure, he just sure. sort of started observing things and sharing things and finding things that he thought others would like, and and kind of has created a brand around that. Yeah, yeah. My son has a blocker charge T shirt. Okay, that I got for yeah, for it's pretty, Christmas. It's pretty cool. I guess uh, as we kind of wrap up, uh, I kind of teased it earlier, but I, I'd love to hear. As you mentioned, like the lists, yeah, uh, and I know that's available, but I had never used it. I've seen I've been added to lists. You'll get a note. You'll get a notification like so and so has added you to this list that they've created. So, what are some other helpful Twitter strategies? So, uh, the followers of this podcast on Twitter, the people listening, the people that are on Twitter, can have a more enjoyable. Uh, rich time uh, as they continue their journey on Twitter. Yeah. So. Um 
so list is one like if you just if you just go into the the left menu so if you click on the icon in the top left uh your own profile icon you'll see you'll see a menu there and list will be there and if you click on that then you can create your own so the bottom right is create your own list and i would actually encourage you scott to maybe create a georgia football list so people can quickly discover this um i know i'll follow it if you do um, but you enter a name and a description if you want. You can make it private. You can make it public. And then you just start adding people to that list. So after creating your list, if you went to at Kirby Smart UGA and then the top right, the, the ellipses, the three dots, um, you click on that. Then you click add or remove to lists. Um, and then okay. you can add them to your list. So. And if you create a list um, or follow a list, you can organize them and they'll, they'll actually appear at the top of your timeline on the home screen. And then you can quickly scroll between the lists. So if you had a Georgia football list and an Atlanta Braves list and a politics list, you could scroll quickly in between those and get uh, a curated timeline, um, a curated feed around this. It's actually a very convenient way if you're if you want to find something specific um, uh, or just see Twitter for something specific to, to go that route. That's like the power user mode activated. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully we'll, you know, we, we realize that it is a little bit of a power user thing um, and, and we're going to get better at, at making it discoverable and letting people utilize that function. Cause I think it's, it's incredibly helpful. So um, the second thing I would encourage is just people use the explore tab. So the, the magnifying mm-hmm. glass tab, you know, I find out I get a ton of news that way. You can at the top, there's general, there's trending, there's sports, entertainment, like whatever it is you're looking for. Generally, if you hear something like whenever somebody says, you know, oh, my God, did you hear about such and such? The first thing I do is go to the Explore tab. Same. And, <laughs> and find stuff there. So um, so I think that's that's another sort of not so much power user, but just experience user move that sure. I think people people can really appreciate and, and sort of understand the power of Twitter doing that. And then what about, uh, what about the power of hashtags? I've, al- I've always seen, of, of course, you, you, you have your like uh, the last dance hashtag and everything, but if you're creating a tweet and you're wanting to use hashtag go dogs, hashtag UGA, is there kind of a recommended usage of hashtags like on maybe you don't use more than two Maybe three at the most, but don't sit there and, and, and stuff eight hashtags into your tweet. Yeah, or is, or nobody, I, nobody likes seeing that. that. Um, yeah. I, I think Instagram people seem to really love filling up their their posts with hashtags. But uh, on Twitter, keep in mind, I mean, the, the hashtag was invented on Twitter. The reason mm-hmm. it was invented on Twitter was to aggregate conversations. So... The beauty of it is if there is a – and that's why like specific games will have hashtags or you know UGA Football has a, a host of different hashtags. But you can click on those and then you get, you get content that is all um, – are all tweets that have included that hashtag. So, um, so I would say like if you want to participate in the game day conversation – hashtag go dogs is a is a great way to do that i mean i i do that on almost every tweet that i tweet during games and then i'll go Mm -hmm. in and search and look at look at what people have said so um so that's that would be my recommended strategy for and for brands and advertisers by the way we recommend one hashtag and one hashtag only so for anybody who is out there thinking about doing advertising um we think you know we have we have data that backs this up that you actually get more engagement and more awareness by doing that instead of sort of uh, muddying your message. And when it comes to hashtags, I, I guess this is maybe not necessarily a tip, but it helps explain it because I don't know the answer to this and I'm hoping you do. How come some hashtags have a little favicon after it? Like, you know, you tweet the last dance. I think it's like a pair of Jordans yeah, or yeah. something that pops up or NFL draft had the thing. How does that come about? Is that some kind of uh, to where if someone had some marketing money to spend, they could they could have a favicon after their hashtag. Yeah, so this is uh, this is actually courtesy of of my team um, back in I don't know maybe it was 2014 or 15, and uh, we called those hash flags. Um, okay, and it's it was a way for us to. Um, 
to do something a little unexpected at the time. And um, so, yeah, so brands can um, get involved that way. And the first one that we ever did was with Coca-Cola. And there are different teams at Twitter that will also activate these for big events. So if it's the last dance, if it's the Super Bowl, if it's International Women's Day, um, you know, anything like that where we, we think there will be a, a big conversation around it, then um, mm-hmm. then we will add one of these um, custom emojis to it. That makes me remember, um, I guess it was the 2016, yeah, okay, so 2016 Summer Olympics. I guess that was happening kind of as college football was starting. And if you use the hashtag UGA back then, it, it put up the Ugandan flag. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just remember that it stuck in my mind because uh, that was it was almost like funny. At first, it was like, what is going on? Yeah. And then you realize, oh, the Olympics are happening and it's, it's people UGA. It, it made sense. So oh, that was uh, one of those funny instances. I guess, you know, hashtags are not uh, copyrighted, I guess. So anybody can use a hashtag. It's not like having your own Twitter handle. That's um, right. Uh, I guess finally, um, since I said Twitter handles, uh, everybody seems to be uh, fascinated with the check mark. And I'm not going to call it a blue check mark because it's really a white check mark. But I'll, that's, you know, neither here nor there. I guess I digress. From well, it that depends on if you're, in, uh, if you're in dark mode or, or what. True. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so real quickly, uh, I know one of our, our co-hosts on this podcast, Will Leach, he is verified, has a blue check mark, uh, and a couple of our followers are blue check marked people. It's not necessarily how many followers you have. I think it has to do more with your industry, uh, or, and I'm guessing here, uh, but what constitutes a blue check mark? Yeah. So, uh, another thing that was invented on Twitter, um, that, that has, I think has, you know, shown up in, um, a lot of different platforms. Instagram. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the reason it was created was, um, a way to identify an authentic account versus a imposter or a fake account. So mm-hmm. we were seeing, you know, different celebrities, who might not even be on Twitter and somebody would create an account or an act like them. And so the, uh, the verification is what, what we call it, um, is it was a way for us to, um, confirm, sort of certify that this is the person that they say they are. So the, and the way that, that that is granted is, um, there's a a team of people that actually review the occurrences or, or people who think they need to be verified and they have a, a pretty, a uh, strict set of criteria to determine, you know, who um, who should be verified and and why. So um, so there's there's people behind that are that are making that judgment. Hmm. Okay. Just to just and to protect then, people and and for so that nobody gets uh, so that we we've had people that have showed up to our office in Atlanta who demand to be verified and it's always <laughs> like uh, I don't doubt that. People reach out to me on Twitter like, hey, can you verify me? And I have I have colleagues who actually have it in their profile. Like, I work at Twitter and no, I can't verify you. So That's funny. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Uh, yeah, it was just, it's just one of those things that I'm sure a lot of people wonder. But, uh, but you know, it does, it does get – it does help even subconsciously. Um, if I ever get a comment or a like or a, re- a retweet from someone who's verified, even if I don't know who they are, I'm like, oh. And I kind of stand up and I yeah, check their yeah. profile and – you know, sure, it is a it is a great way to get discovered and everything. But I guess I would say, hey, create awesome content, uh, carve out a niche for yourself, and then maybe it can happen. Yeah, because you know, there you go. Uh, and then finally, uh, I'm I'm always fascinated with uh, the usernames and everything. And I know that you're at Rhino R Y N O. Uh, so uh, two questions on that, I guess. How do you get, or I guess it's almost like grandfathered in to where people have just single names like at Jack. Um, but, but how are there any available past a certain amount of characters uh, uh, for a certain name? And also my, my follow-up question to that is why doesn't Ryan Sandberg have that uh, Twitter <laughs> handle? Maybe he's not on Twitter and you stole it from you. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, what, what are the answers to those two questions? Yeah, I mean, um, so I don't, I don't know that if there are um, 
any uh, ad handles that are left in terms of like the shorter character length. I think there are, by the way, because I actually saw somebody recently that had joined and had like only three letters. So I, I think they're out there. And I don't know about about Sandberg. I mean, <laughs> I I love my at handle, and I get um, you know because that was that was my nickname growing up, and and still something that my family calls me. But the uh, I get asked all the time, people like asking me if they can buy it or have it. Really? Um, yeah, I actually wow. had one. I guess there was a gamer who goes by the name Rhino, and uh, he turned all of his like followers on me and we're trying to like get me to give it to him um and then be like dude i work here yeah (laughs) i mean well plus like you know i i think it's a it's a pretty good handle so i'm keeping it Mm -hmm. um guy offered me a 100 bucks for it this week actually and and i I turned him down so um right so yeah but if sandberg reached out to me uh that might be a different story because he was my, (laughs) my my childhood hero so um so that could be a different story Maybe he's not on to it. He was, you know, it's unfortunate that as we were actually, maybe it's fortunate because I would have probably tweeted some things I, I shouldn't have that might have been career limiting back in the nineties. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's interesting to think that, uh, you know, what some of these personalities in sports, uh, would have been like in, in some of the guys or, or girls that would have been amazing on Twitter back in their prime back in the day, uh, or maybe, uh, controversial even, but, uh, but yeah, I guess that would be another a time for another podcast. What I, what I have for you now, uh, the jeopardy round, it's something I started as uh, the pandemic hit. It used to be kind of, uh, not really well prepared or anything. I would just kind of throw some trivia out to Will and Tony. Uh, but it also limits me on my questions. So, uh, I, I feel like this is a better format. So Ryan, I've got five questions for you. Don't feel the need to answer in the form of a question because I'm not sure I actually wrote these the right way to answer it that way. So anyway, we'll go ahead and get started. And I, th- I think these are pretty appropriate uh, for you. They should be right in your wheelhouse. Okay, awesome. All right, so the $200 question is, this former Georgia baseball player got a World Series ring when the Cubs won the 2016 title. Oh, my God. Um, he was a pitcher. Uh, I have no idea. You don't know Jeff Grimm. Oh, I did not know that. Um, okay, well now I feel like I'm a better fan of both. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Any okay, relation so, to any Jeff Jeff Grimm, Jerry Grimm? Remember him? Oh yeah, the Sigma Chi fraternity brother. No, yeah, I, I think this uh, the Cubs Grimm is a lot younger because uh, he was playing in the 2016 World Series. I don't know what he's doing now. Um, but there's not that many Georgia baseball players in Major League Baseball currently. Um, after Gordon Beckham and Jeff Kepinger, uh, you got Alex Wood. Um, yeah, but uh, Be- yeah, Beckham's still playing or two. Might might be might be you know Mitchell Boggs did for a while. I think he was with the Cardinals. Um, but yeah, Justin uh, Justin Grimm. Oh, I called him our fraternity brother's name. Yeah. Wait, it's Justin Grimm. <laughs> I was like, that's I crazy. Can't believe that I would would have missed that. But yeah, um, it's Justin Grimm. I had no idea that he went to Georgia. All right, cool. All right, well, for one. Uh, yep. Here's the next question. Um, Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, and I'm saying Jack. I'm stressing Jack because that's his Twitter handle at Jack. He tweeted, "Quote: Just setting up my Twitter with a TWTTR." Which was the first tweet ever, and it happened on this date. It was, what was it? It was April of 2007. What, what is April 2007? Uh, you're off by 13 months. Um, and the only reason I know this is because my oldest son was born the day before this. It was March mm-hmm. of 2006. Yeah, it was March 21st, 2006. My oldest son was born March 20th, 2006. And it's something I've been telling him for years, and that's the only reason I know that answer. Yeah, that was a big big day in the world. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so this is your next question. Current Chicago Cub and former Atlanta Brave Jason Hayward made his Major League Baseball debut on April 5th, 2010 and hit a 470-foot three-run home run off this Chicago Cubs starting pitcher. Oh wow! In his debut, yeah. Um, 
think of a think of a, a starting pitcher that would get really angry really quickly. Carlos Zambrano. It was Carlos Zambrano. Yes, that was. I almost guessed that, but I was like, was he still pitching then? Yeah, yeah, Zambo. Yeah, he did. I don't think he lasted very long in that game. Yeah, <laughs> he was a nut. Yeah. Um, all right, so this is, uh, I guess, the, the two, four, six, the $800 Jeopardy question. Okay, I, I, got, I have uh, some ground to make up with. So. Well, don't feel bad because most, even uh, my co-hosts have not fared well on these. Okay. Because um, with, with quarantine life, I have plenty of time to research these questions. Yeah. And so they're not exactly easy. Okay. Um, all right, so you'll probably get this one. We, uh, meaning Ryan and myself, we were both Sigma Chi's at the University of Georgia. Can you name three other famous Sigma Chi's besides yourself and myself? Yes. Um, Brad Pitt. That's right. David Letterman. That's right. And I know Tiger Woods pledged Sigma Chi. I don't know if that would count. Yeah, he he never went through initiation like you and I did. Okay, so that doesn't count. Um, was Ditka one? Mike Ditka was a Sigma Chi as well. Nice. Some other correct answers that I would have accepted is uh, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. John Wayne, the Duke. Yes. Remember him? Yes. Uh, Drew Brees. Warren Beatty. Ah. Uh, Tom Selleck. Yeah, knew that one. Uh, Clarence Gilliard Jr. And the reason why I know him, he was uh, in Top Gun. He was uh, Sundown. Yeah. Uh, in Top Gun. <laughs> Uh, and then and then three guys i don't know how you're gonna feel about uh sean payton head coach of the saints uh luke bryan oh okay and everybody's favorite coach to hate urban meyer i did not know that about urban meyer i didn't either until i looked it up and i was i was aghast that he was a sigma chi hopefully he doesn't still claim it wow i want to roll yeah no you're on a roll this is your last one um in 1997, you were at Georgia then, as, as was I. Uh, the Dogs went 10-2 and and finished ranked 10th in the nation after winning the Outback Bowl against this team and their future Heisman Trophy winning running back. Ron Dane. Who is Ron Dane? That's correct. And the team? Wisconsin Badgers. That's right. Interesting little uh, add-on to that. Georgia scored his number, 33. Yeah. And I think... Wisconsin only had 33 yards rushing. Ah, wow. Yeah, that was a beat. That was a beatdown. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was at that game. I was at that game on. Uh, we we went down to Tampa. 11 a.m. on a on New Year's yes. Day. Probably not feeling great. Yes. No, not great at all. In fact, what was worse was the Millennial game. Uh, one one. Or, you know, Y two K game. Uh, that was. Uh, that was Outback Bowl as well. Mm-hmm. They played Purdue. It was, uh, yeah, they won. They won that game. Yeah, I remember that too. Wow, long yeah, time so, ago, uh, Scott. We're getting older. I know, man. I know. I, I, we're getting older, and uh, but you know what? Even though I'm about to be 44 in uh, in June, I can honestly say that with the way technology is and the way social media is. And just being able to sit here, even though we've had a lot of audio issues with recording this podcast, the fact that we can do this and reach across and everything, I don't feel as old, even though 20 years ago, we were considered in our quote unquote prime in our 20s. But I feel like I'm doing a lot more now than I was back then. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I think that's a really good perspective. And um, yeah, I think we're... Uh, life is pretty good, so um, so I'm not I'm not complaining about uh, feeling old when I think about the fact that I graduated from college um, 21 years ago to the day. Wow! Really? Well, congratulations. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're life is still good, man. That is good, and and also congrats on on getting engaged. And, Thank you. And thanks so much for for joining us on uh, waiting since last Saturday. Um, how how could anybody uh, find you? I guess it's easy. Just find, look up Rhino, R-Y-N-O. At R-Y-N-O and um, give me a follow, say hello, and talk some EJ football. 
Well, thanks for joining me today, and I uh, hope to see you this fall at a tailgate. Uh, please stop by. Maybe you and Will can have some fun talking Cardinals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, I'd love it, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was, it was fun to talk about all this stuff. And thanks so much for listening. And a big thanks to Ryan for joining me today on this episode. Make sure to go follow Ryan on Twitter, of course. His handle is at Rhino. That's R-Y-N-O. Send him a tweet. Tell him go dogs. Tell him you heard him on Waiting Since Last Saturday. All that good stuff. And I also have some other good news. Will, Tony, and I will be recording an in-person, socially distanced, and I'm using air quotes, podcast this week. I don't know why I was using air quotes. It just felt good to do that. That's right. No internet connection. No Zoom recording. We'll definitely be farther apart and probably outdoors, but bourbon will be poured and consumed and we'll share what we've been up to and also any opinions or knowledge, if we have any, on what we think the 2020 college football season will look like. Until then, make sure to follow us on social media, especially Twitter. Our handle is at WSLS Podcast, but really, we're on all platforms. Just search WSLS Podcast on Twitter, of course, and Instagram, Facebook, and even YouTube. Hope to see you on campus sometime very soon. And as always, go dogs. Go dogs.